How are you? All good? Cricket fans recovered from the hammering we had on the other night? No? Some are still in shock. We'll have a special altar call for cricket fans after the meeting. All right, for healing in the memories. Uh, but I want to talk about running a great race. And if you haven't gathered by now, uh, I like sport. I like sports contests, especially when we win. I hate it when we lose. I hate it especially when we lose to the Aussies. So that's, that's the worst of the worst of the worst. And, but um, when I think of great races, uh, there are a few that come to mind. There are a few world-changing uh, races that happened. I think um, the first one, uh, that I watched was in 1983. I, I usually don't barrack for the Australians, but in the 1983 America's Cup, Australia um, beat the New York Yacht Club. First time that the New York Yacht Club was beaten in 132 years. And uh, some of you will remember Dennis Connor be infamously being the first American to lose the America's Cup. Man, that was a great day. That was a day of celebration in our household. That was a day of rejoicing. <clears throat> another uh, really significant event, another really significant race was Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile. And when you study up how that happened, uh, it was absolutely amazing. And then when you think that John Walker ran over 100 sub-four-minute miles after that, you think, well, what was going on? Was it, was it um, training? What was it? Well, actually, most of it was, was in the head. That was a great race. The third one that, that I've got here has been one of the great races of all time. It was in 1936 at the Berlin Olympics. I would have loved to have been sitting next to Hitler <laughs> when black American Jesse Owens won his third gold medal by winning the 100 metres. And of those of you who don't know the history, um, you might have caught on that Hitler had the belief that the white Aryan race was so much better than the black race. And here you have a black American, Jesse Owens, absolutely creaming everybody and winning. I bet you uh, Hitler had a poor lunch that day. Uh, one of the ones I love, of course, is Eric Liddell winning gold in the 400 metre race in 1924, uh, Paris Olympics. And you can, you can watch that in the film Chariots of Fire. He was the man who, the papers said, put God above king and country. Uh, he was the man who refused to race on a Sunday. He was training for the 100 metre race, in fact. He was a Scotsman. And uh, he refused to race, wouldn't do it, but then one of his compatriots came forward and said, well, look, I've already won a medal. Why don't you take my place in the 400 metres? And he took his place in that, and he won. And it was absolutely, absolutely amazing. But all those races don't really have an impact when it comes to eternity. But the greatest race of all, which does make a difference for eternity, is the race of life the race that every one of us are running, 
And that's described in part in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to that. Basically, the book of Hebrews uh, was written to a church that was getting old and losing its cutting edge. And it was starting to drift through life without focus. It was becoming a bit worldly. Um, It didn't have a lot of energy. And so all the way through the book of Hebrews, you'll find that the writer is trying to encourage them. And in Hebrews chapter 12, and starting at verse 1, it says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So all the way through Hebrews, you find the writer is encouraging them to recapture their vision. So he says, endure, persevere, run, fight, be alert, strengthened, don't drift, don't neglect, don't be sluggish, don't take your eternal security for granted. So all through Hebrews, he's saying, don't drift, don't neglect, don't be sluggish, don't take your eternal security for granted, run the race set before you, don't stroll, don't meander, don't wander about aimlessly, Run as in a race with a finish line and with everything hanging on. There is a race that's marked out for each and every one of us. It's the race that's going to require effort and discipline, yet it's a race that every one of us have been created to win. It's a race that is unique for each of us. And these verses that we've just read give us some great keys to help us run a great race in life. And firstly, they tell us to be encouraged because we are surrounded by a great crowd cloud of witnesses. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the Faith Hall of Fame. It's a list of men and women who kept the faith, accomplished the will of God in the face face of difficulties and obstacles, and sometimes in the face of seemingly impossible circumstances. Uh, They trusted God. They did what God wanted them to do, and they finished their race, and they served God in their generation. And as we read their stories... The witness of those to us that went before us, there is incredible encouragement for us. These heroes of the faith were just ordinary men. And sometimes we lose sight of that. When we see the extraordinary uh, deeds that they do, we forget that they were ordinary people, just like you and I. Uh, They weren't perfect at all. Uh, They were weak like us. Some lived long lives, some lived short lives. But they all incredibly uh, are encouraging witnesses to us because despite their weaknesses and despite their failings, they finished their race with distinction. There was Abel, 
who offered a great sacrifice. There was, was Enoch who walked with God and fellowship with God even when he couldn't see him, see him or feel him. He still believed that God was watching over him and watching every choice and decision that he was making and his faith pleased God. There was Noah who believed God when God told him it was going to rain. And there was no such thing as rain at that stage. So how God got the concept of rain across to Noah, I'm not quite sure. But Noah worked for a hundred years. Not a drop of rain, not a cloud in the sky. I mean, have any of you been told to do something because something else is going to happen? And you work and you work and you work and you work and after a few weeks, you're beginning to wonder why you're doing what you're doing. And then after a few months, you think, this is all bad, this is all wrong. After a few years, you think, hey, I totally got this wrong. Imagine Noah, 100 years, without a drop of rain, without a cloud in the sky. But he patiently obeyed and believed that what God told him would happen would eventually happen. That's amazing. That is absolutely, absolutely amazing. There's Abraham, the father of faith. And as amazing as he was, this guy let his wife be taken by a king and put in the king's harem because he told them that she was his sister. A half-truth, a lie to save his own skin. And he's the father of faith. Moses, as great as he was, he was a murderer. I was going to say, he was just like us. <laughs> but I hope there aren't too many murderers here this morning. <clears throat> there was Jacob, the father of the tribes of Israel. He was a trickster. He basically stole his brother's birthright. These guys were anything but perfect. They were just like us. They had failings. They had weaknesses. And yet, all these heroes did extraordinary things for God. And their stories, their witness will encourage you if you take the time to read them and if you take the time to meditate on them. But not only is their life story a witness, but they are witnessing what we are doing. I remember growing up, and my love of sport came from my father. I'm so hard on the Aussies because my father was Australian. And so there was nothing, there's nothing a son likes better than beating his dad. There's nothing better. And so I got into sport, and dad was just, he would encourage me in everything that I did. I played soccer, and I was absolutely useless at soccer. Uh, before I became a goalkeeper, I was just the worst person on the field. Uh, but Dad came along and he encouraged me every week. Uh, when I started playing tennis, Mum would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and we would go to the Blockhouse Play Tennis Club before school and we'd have a game for an hour. Man, that's dedication. My parents so, so encouraged me when I was growing up. And every person needs somebody to encourage them. Amen. Every one of us need to have encouragement from someone. We are given 
this great cloud of witnesses to cheer us on, to encourage us. It's like, it's a bit like in the early 2000s, Penny and I each year uh, would go across to Hillsong Conference. And I know a number of you um, still do that. Uh, Jeff, uh, I know you go each year to Hillsong. And they hold a Hillsong Conference in the Acer Arena, uh, or the Olympic Stadium as, it, as it's called. And uh, that's a picture of it. And if you're there on the floor, looking around, there is about 30,000 people there. And it is huge. If you're ever at the very, very top in the clouds, as they call it, and you're sitting in the seats, as some of you would have done, and you lean over, I tell you, it's scary. But um, often Pete would get us seats right, right, the best seats in the house, right next to the stage. Um, We would get ushered in and sat down and reserved seats and while everyone else had to line up. And when you look up, though, and you see this amazing crowd all the way around, it was just absolutely, absolutely incredible. That's what it's like for us now. If we were to look around in the eye of the Spirit, we'd see a huge crowd cloud, crowd of witnesses all up there cheering us on, cheering us on. And that's the picture I have of the saints who have run their race. David's up there saying, hey, you're facing some giants in your life? Don't give up. You can win with God's help and his word. Noah's there saying, hey, guys, Be patient. Sometimes it takes a while for the will of God to come to pass in your life. Peter's saying, I see you've blown it. And you're feeling pretty bad about yourself right now. You've made some mistakes. Well, I've been there. I've done that. I denied Jesus three times. But look at me now. Just keep running your race. Abraham's up there saying, bit confused at the moment, aren't you? Don't know what's coming next in your life. Just walk in the light that God's given you, one step at a time, and he will direct your path. Just keep running. Joseph's there saying, don't give in to temptation. Don't give in to bitterness. Tough times come, but you can beat them. Just keep going. Nehemiah's there saying, hey, you got some big problems? Well, big problems can be solved one step at a time. Esther's They're encouraging us. Hey, God has placed you where he needs you right now for such a time as this. Hannah's there saying, guys, don't you know that fervent prayer can produce a breakthrough that can change a nation? And each one of these are surrounding us, cheering and clapping as we run our race. I wonder, guys, um, why don't you just get, get the ladder and disconnect that, okay? And uh, you older people, uh, turn your hearing aids up because you're not going to get uh, the sound system on that side. And uh, we're just going to keep on going. Don't worry. Uh, it's a bit of a distraction, and it's amazing when God wants to move how the enemy will try and get in and distract us. 
There are myriads of people in those stands that face the impossible and accomplish the unthinkable because they saw the invisible and believed in the intangible. And every one of them is cheering you on, saying, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. You see, the race is a race that all Christians must run as we live for God and witness for Him. We do that publicly. We do that privately. Each of us have an individual role in God's plan. Uh, Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Each of us have a marked out route to run, and we need to remain in our lane, in our area of grace. When you step outside your area of grace, you basically don't have grace for it. That's why, by the way, when you take on other people's offenses, when people are offended, God will give them grace for that. But when you take on other people's offenses, you don't have grace for that. It's like, that's why uh, in the ministry, uh, you find that uh, pastors' kids often uh, have a really difficult time because uh, they see the offenses that come against their dad and they don't have the grace to take those on, whereas the father does have the grace for it. Stay inside your bubble of grace. God gives each person a measure of grace. And so it's really important that you stay within that area. Stay within what God has asked you to do. Uh, in the Olympics, runners are disqualified if they run outside their lane. And my lane is different to your lane. We are all wired differently, and it will take all of us running our different lanes to see the ultimate plans and purposes of God come to pass. None of us are here by accident. All of us have specific assignments that we will be held accountable for when we stand before God, and we need to run that race well. So don't do anything that will stop you or slow you down from running your race. So, okay, how do we run the race? How do we do it? Well, in this passage that we've read, it gives us three things that we should be doing. First of all, it says, throw off everything that hinders us, or as other versions say, lay aside every weight. And on the screen behind me, you'll see a, a sprinter training with weights. So they pile big, heavy weights on behind them to slow them down to develop muscle so that when they take the weights off, he will explode out of that situation. <clears throat> weights are different to sins. Weights are things that slow you down. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful, <clears throat> but not all things are profitable. The race of life that is not run well by asking What's wrong with this, or what's wrong with that, or is this a sin, uh, or is that a sin? That sometimes is unhelpful. It's better run by asking, <clears throat> is this thing in the way of greater faith? Is this thing a weight? Is this thing going to stop me from having greater love? Is this thing going to help me f have greater purity? Greater courage, greater humility, greater patience, greater self-control. Not, is it a sin, but does it help me run? Is it in the way? Is it weighing me down? Does it help me 
run the race? Does it help me run for Jesus? Uh, some people here this morning, uh, under the weight of other people's expectations for your life. You're trying to please others. And it's a weight for you. And it's not something that God has called you to do. Just try to please Jesus. Put him first. Do what he wants of your life. And it will lift a weight from you. Some people are under the weight of a poor self-image. You believe what other people and other things have said about you. And as a result, you don't believe what Jesus has said about you. It's a weight. Others are under a weight of past mistakes and past missed opportunities, which you need to let go of because they are stopping you running your race fast while you're always saying, if only, if only, if only. It's stop of you, stopping you from taking hold of what God has for your life now. Let it go. Let it go. Some of you are just wasting time through lack of discipline and lack of vision. Ephesians 5.15 says, So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants from you. In that verse, it goes on and says, And don't get drunk with wine, which is an excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's good advice for us. A weight could be a relationship or a lifestyle or a lack of focus that is just weighing you down. Wrong company. But Jesus says, the cares of life can sometimes just crowd over his plans and purposes and just slow you down from coming into them. Every one of us need to take time to consider, God, have I got any weights in my life? Are the things that are not sin, but they're just stopping me from being everything that you've created me to be and to do everything that you've planned and purposed for me to do. So... Let go of those weights. Secondly, it says, lay aside the sin that entangles you. We, we all have a, a bent or a bias for sin in our life. It's like those bowlers. When they let the ball go, the, this is indoor bowlers or outdoor bowlers, not cricket bowlers. The ball has a bias on it and the ball curves. Well, we are built originally with a bias towards sin. It's a bent towards our fleshy nature. It may be anger, it might be lying, it might be gossip, it might be sexual, it might be pride, it might be deceit, it might be lack of honesty. Maybe it's a judgmental attitude. Whatever it is, it will entangle you. And we've got to deal with it. It's like um, I saw a National Geographic program on the TV um, a little while back which described ghost nets, one of the biggest problems in the oceans today. And these are clear nets that have been let go from trawlers that have been cut away when they've gotten tangled. And these huge big areas of nylon, they just suck up all the fish in that area because the fish 
don't realize they're there. Dolphins swim into them and they just get caught and they die. Uh, when they die, they attract other fish and it just goes on and on and on. And they say there are thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of these things killing huge areas of our oceans. Ghost nets. That is sin. That's like sin in our lives. It'll just tangle us and tangle us and pull us down. I was talking to David um, Pierce. We were chatting on the phone uh, as we were praying for this weekend. David's preaching in West this morning and City this morning and West again tonight. And we were talking about a number of bits and pieces. And uh, I mentioned to David concerning a particular area. I said, hey, if we're walking along the road and we don't pay attention and we trip and fall, what's going to happen? We, we, we skin our knees. We might hurt our elbows. We might graze our hands. But no big deal. We're, we're going to be okay in, in a couple of weeks' time. But if we're climbing Mount Everest and we don't pay attention and we trip and fall, the result could be catastrophic. We haven't been called to meander through life, walking on the sidewalks of life. We've been called to make a difference. We've been called to climb mountains. We've been called to make a difference. We've been called to reach high, and therefore we have to pay more attention to a person whose life isn't making a difference. And sin will stop us. And David happened to say, he said, look, he says, I know a couple of pastor friends of mine uh, who had incredible anointing, uh, moved powerfully in the Holy Spirit, got involved in wrong things, uh, got involved in sin. He said, after that, yes, they were restored to Jesus, but they never, ever had the power and the anointing in their ministry that they had before their fall. Be careful. There is a difference. There is a life that God can pour out his Holy Spirit on, and it's a life of purity, and it's a life that puts him first, and we want to live that kind of life. We want to go for God. We want to make a difference. That's what the enemy wants for you. He wants you to trip and fall. He wants you to be entangled with, uh, with sin. The enemy wants to stop you by whatever means he can from making a difference for Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you fully functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants you living beneath what God created you for. So watch out for the enemy's schemes and traps and distractions. You know, Jesus said, when you pray, pray, deliver me from evil. Or in other words, God, open my eyes so I can see the traps that the enemy puts out there for me so that I can bypass those traps. But... Joseph is standing here with us saying, you can make it. You can lay that sin aside. You can overcome and break through this. You don't have to be bitter and unforgiving. Jesus is bigger than your sin, and he offers forgiveness to you. And that's why the third thing that we're told to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Our focus is so important in life. We get what we focus on. 
I've started playing golf again after a uh, layoff, after, um, after surgery. And uh, one of the things that that has taught me so, so much is I get what I focus on. If I focus on the trees on the left-hand side, guess where my drive's going to go? If I focus on the outer bounds, guess where my drive's going to go? If I focus on the bunker right in front of me, guess where my ball's going to go? In the bunker. And any of you who have played golf will know what you focus on is where your ball's going to go. And that is so frustrating. But it's so true in life. What you focus on is where you're going to go. It's where you're going to end up. Hebrews 12 verse 2 said, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see, the biggest encourager is not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. It's Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us and he's wanting to encourage us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I must admit, I don't understand exactly how that works except I know that Jesus died for me so that my sin would be covered, so that I would be set free, and so that in God's eyes, he would look at me and he would see the righteousness of Jesus instead of the rottenness of my sin. And God does that for each and every one of us. We have no way of really comprehending what that was really like for Jesus at Gethsemane. He said, I don't want to do this. But he did. He did it for us. Why did he endure the cross? Why did he endure the most painful form of death that they had at that stage? The Bible tells us for the joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before Jesus wasn't the joy of sitting down at the right hand of God. He'd already been there. No, the joy that was set before Jesus was you and I. As he was enduring the pain of the cross, he looked down time's portals and he saw you and I saved, redeemed, set free from sin, having a future in relationship with the Father. And he gave him the strength to endure the cross. There is a reward for finishing. His reward was seeing us. Our reward will be seeing him. This great cloud of witnesses that is cheering us on. Why are they so interested in our race? They've finished their race. Why would they be so concerned? Let's look at Verse 39 of chapter 11, it says this. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What does that mean? Other paraphrases say, they don't get their prize until we finish the race. 
You see, it's a relay race. It's a relay race that we're running, and the baton has been passed on to us, and that's why they are shouting, because we are running the same race that they did. They, run their, they ran their lap, their lap, but the race isn't finished. The ultimate prize is seeing Jesus coming again, his enemies vanquished, and Jesus establishing his kingdom on earth. That isn't going to happen till we all finish our race. And I know there are a lot of different versions of end-time events. Some are pre-rapture, some are mid-rapture, some are post-rapture people. But the basic thing that everybody agrees about is Jesus is coming again. Amen? And when he ultimately comes, uh, those that are with him are going to come down from heaven and they're going to have their bodies restored and he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. And those ones that are in heaven at this time are waiting to get their bodies restored and come with Jesus to rule and reign. And they're waiting for us to finish the race. They're waiting for us to see the nations saved. They're waiting for us to make disciples of all people. We're running this race not just for us, But we're running this race for those that have gone before, and we're running this race for those that are yet to come, for our kids and our grandkids. And I'm wanting to pass the baton on to my children and my grandchildren and see them come into the kingdom and see them become everything that they have been planned and purposed to become. It's just possible that our grandkids could be running the anchor leg of the race, the last leg. Don't get discouraged. Don't get cynical. Don't stop running. Jesus comes when the race is finished. The baton has been passed to you and I. Let's run with everything that we can and bring as many through with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's have the musicians. I started by reminding us of amazing races. There's one more that I want to show you.
my soul so weary when troubles come and my heart burdened be then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me you raise me That event is um, labelled as the, one of the top five inspirational moments of the last hundred years of Olympics. Why? Because a father saw his son struggling and came alongside him and helped him finish the race. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Because <clears throat> our Heavenly Father has sent His Holy Spirit to come alongside us and help us finish the race. You see, we can't finish the race by ourselves. It is impossible for us to lay aside those weights. It is impossible for us to deal with the sin in our lives without the help without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. But God has created us to finish our race well. He's created us to finally stand before Him and hear Him saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what we have created for. We have been created to win. We have been created 
not just to struggle and get through life, but we have been created to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to do life well and to bring others with us. This morning, I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to touch a number of people. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to touch those people who you think you've blown it. And you can't shake those events of the past that are weighing you down. But this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to give you Holy Spirit-inspired revelation that will encourage you to let go of what has happened in the past and take hold of what God wants for you today. So as the ministry team come, if that's you, you can come forward. There are others here this morning, and you've just been meandering through life. But this morning you felt the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want you to make a fresh commitment to serve me with everything that you've got. If that's you, you come forward. If you're here this morning and you've never, ever given Jesus Christ, your life to Jesus Christ, you don't know Him, this Heavenly Father who sent His Son to die for you, you're not in a relationship with God, there are things that have been stopping you, but this morning... You've felt His presence and you want to know His peace. And you want to know that you're going to end up standing before Him for eternity. If that's you, why don't you come forward? Because God is only a prayer away. Your life is only one prayer away from getting back on track. There will be others here this morning. And you just want to a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. You just want to sense His presence, to hear His still small voice saying, this is the way. If you need a breakthrough, if you need a fresh touch from God, just as we sing this final song, why don't you come forward and it'll be our privilege, our pleasure to be able to pray with you as we take another step forward in that race empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you value our prayers, come on forward.